This morning, we're going to talk about something that everybody, everybody, everybody has done, possibly just yesterday, maybe even this morning. We're going to talk about the temporary benefits of complaining. The temporary benefits of complaining, right? So here's my question. What is the benefit of complaining? Does it produce sometimes the results we would like? Yeah. Correct. It does. There are temporary benefits. I mean, we wouldn't complain if there weren't some benefits to it, right? Like, you wouldn't just go out of your way to say something that you would like to be different if there wasn't some benefit you received out of it. Never mind the fact that some of us, we just love to vent, right? I mean, we, just, we just love to, if you will, get it off our chest. We feel better, right? How many of us feel better sometimes when we vent? Right? right? It, just, it just feels great, doesn't it? But how long does that last? How long is the benefit to that? Like, wh- my question is, what would, what would it benefit us long term if God took away everything we complained about that we didn't want in our lives? Like, what would be the long term benefit of that? So he took it away, we'd find something else, right? Now, what about if we're complaining about something we would like in our life? So God gives it to us, and we complain about it again later, even though we got what we wanted, right? Like, has that never happened to you and me? We ask for something, we're complaining about something, God gives it to us finally, and then we complain about the very thing that he gave us later on. You know, it, it's amazing. You see throughout Scripture this paradigm that is always, always very visibly seen. God blesses people, and then they end up complaining about the thing he's blessed them with. Well, this morning is no different. We're going to be jumping right into the text here in Exodus. And what Moses now is leading the children of Israel out. Remember last week we talked about all the excuses he had. Well, now this week as we look at the complaints of the people, you can kind of see why he didn't want to go. Okay? I think it becomes a little more clear as you see the whole context as to why Moses leading two million people was probably not going to be a fun experience. All right? If we're, we're dealing with a small church here, I can't imagine two million people. I mean, Moses, God bless his heart, really. I don't know how he pulled it off. But he's an encouragement to me as, as a leader in this church. And I know that if Moses can do it, those with a lot less can do it as well. So this, it's just a big benefit as we see this text. But as we open this morning, I just want to kind of fill you in on some of the details. This nation of Israel had legitimately struggled for over 200 years in captivity. And, and the, the interesting thing is, these are people that long for freedom. And God finally sends a deliverer, Moses. They finally exit Egypt. And as they exit Egypt and they're delivered, they get to actually take a lot of belongings with them. In fact, on the way out, they weren't broke. Okay? Usually when you have a reset in life, you kind of tend to kind of restart the process. They left with money. They left with possessions. They left with cattle. So... You know, I could just imagine two million people going through a desert and there are children playing with rocks, throwing them, annoying their moms because they hit somebody accidentally. You know, you just picture the scenario. It, you, can't, you can't not see that happening. If you've been a parent for any amount of time, those things happen, right? And I just had an incident the other day between two of my boys. I'm not going to mention which ones. But, you know, you literally had to go, stop doing this to your brother. This is a result of what you just did. And, and, and I could just imagine that at a massive scale of two million people traveling through the desert and sadly not even knowing where they're going. Could you imagine doing that? Uh, Moses, where are we going? God will show us. That's a direction that's hard to follow. 
okay? Especially when you don't have this, like, GPS tracking, okay? Like, here's the spot we're going to go. We're going to go through the desert. God's going to lead us. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. But at the end, we'll know where he wants us only at the end. That's it. We're not going to know right now. It's only later on. So it's in this context that we see that God had delivered them because at the, the last plague is the firstborn dying in Egypt. At that point, the Pharaoh finally releases them. They're out on their journey. And this is where we pick up in the text. And we see four different complaints of the children of Israel. In fact, I believe Scripture actually mentions a total of ten. We're going to look at four of them that we, we, we read through this last week. So we're going to look at four different complaints that they brought before their leader. Number one, why did we follow you? It's a very nice complaint. Like, what are we doing here? Like, the Egyptians are coming after us. Moses, what are we doing here? Number two, this isn't going to work. Number three, at least we had. I'm sure nobody's ever had that complaint before. And number four, everyone's favorite, it's your fault to the leader. So we're going to talk, number one, why did we follow you? Look at Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start at verse number, verses number 10 through 12. And I want you to pay attention to really kind of what happens here in the context of, what, of Moses leading the children of Israel out. Pharaoh begins to pursue, and, and verse 10 says, Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that you told, we told you in Egypt? Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. The nation here is second-guessing why they left with Moses. Like, why do we follow you? Like, we're in the wilderness. And now we had just exited, and the Egyptians are coming after us. We would have rather stayed alive in Egypt, Moses. Now they're coming to kill us. I mean, what's the point, Moses? What's the point of delivering us here in the wilderness when they're coming right back after us? The nation's been crying out to God for so long that their fear was that God would never hear them and would never deliver them. Well, God delivers them here. And guess what? Fear creeps in again. Why? Because the very thing they left is now coming back to pursue them. Egypt that they exited is now coming right back after them again. I hope you see some of the interesting pictures that God really kind of paints for us as he shows us the exodus of the children of Israel. Everyone wants freedom when they're trapped in sin. And, and sadly, what happens to many of us is we get deliverance only to realize that sin comes back to overtake us again. What ends up happening is we live in fear again. We were afraid before we were saved. We're afraid after we're saved. We're the same people. God's the one that's different. And sadly, what happens is we have the wrong fear, and we have the fear, fear in the wrong place. We're afraid of our circumstances. We're not fearing God. And that's interesting. You'll see this in the text here. Um, most, most of these people went back, if you actually looked earlier in, the, in chapter 5, I believe, 
they actually told Moses, stop, the Egyptians are making it harder on us, we don't want to go through this process. They had grown comfortable in their state, knowing it still was miserable, and they, yet they prayed to God for deliverance. And as soon as they got deliverance, they wanted to go back because it was getting hard again, and it didn't make sense why they were, in, they were out in the first place. It's not always going to make sense to you, believer, why God has delivered you from sin. It won't always make sense. But realize that as soon as sin comes pursuing you again, as soon as the old life or the good old days, if you will, come knocking and wanting you back, realize that that's where the battle begins. And you need to realize that you either fear them or you fear the Lord. You gotta, you're going to fear something. The question is, are you going to fear the circumstances or the things that are com coming after you or are you going to fear God? And, and by fear God, I mean a reverential Holy trust that God knows what he's doing. Here's what we're going to see in the text. This is a process that every follower of Christ goes through. They want to be free from sin, and yet they're caught back in sin again. And they're, they're fearful. They don't know why it is that they're even in the process right now. It makes no sense sometimes to us that God would give us grace, right? We get to that place sometimes in our walk where, God, why did you give me grace? And we look at other people that seem to have less misery, and we think that their life is so much better because they don't have Christ. But mine, because I follow Christ, is more miserable because I have to follow God's word. It's a way of thinking that is worldly-based that we've implanted and imported, if you will, in our Christian walk. And sadly, we've never gone to what God's word says. We go to what we want. And we're going to see why it's important to be constantly in the word. Because the more you and I are in the Word, the more the Word gets into us and we start living the way God would want us to live. You see, the Israelites had their own fear in Egypt. They also had their fear even when they got out. Look at your fears as a disciple of Christ. You couldn't, be, you couldn't wait to be free from sin. But then for some reason, you have this temptation to go back, right? Like you just have a temptation to go back. I mean, let's be real. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would be doing it. If sin wasn't thrilling, no one would pursue it. What's crazier is that we as believers know sin is pursuing us, and then for some reason we have this knack to go back to it. We want to go back. We don't like this freedom thing. It, it, it's hard. This process is taking too long, right? Like we want to just go from saved, glorified, right? Lord, I'm saved today. Take me to glory tomorrow. I don't want to go through this crazy mess called life. But that's not how it works. And there's always a process. And God's always working through that. In fact, here's the response. Look at verses 13 through 14. Don't be afraid. God will be your rescue. Look at this. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You don't need to be afraid. The Lord will be your rescue. Believer, don't forget that the Lord is the one that rescued from sin. We forget that too frequently. He's the only rescue you will have even after you are saved. You and I can encourage and build one another up. 
But ultimately, it's God through his word that will restore us, that will sustain us, that will help us fight the battle. And sometimes we try to do things on God's behalf. We think, if I just do this right here, then automatically I will get the result I want. God is not a genie. You don't get to rub, rub a magic lamp and poof, he'll do whatever you want. You are under him as he is Lord. You don't get to tell the Lord what he, you want him to do. Guess what Israel's doing here? Moses, I don't even know why we listen to you. This is ridiculous. Egyptians are coming after us again. But notice this. Look at verses 30 through 31. This is amazing. 14, 30 through 31. It says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. They drowned. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared who? Or were they just afraid of? The Egyptians, their circumstances, right? Guess what God's deliverance just brought them? A fear for him. And believe the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, we would love to just pack up the sermon and go, man, this is great. Look at, a, look at the great finish. They just believe the Lord and Moses. We're done. There's your application. Go. Doesn't stop there. Doesn't stop there. It's amazing that so many of us are so afraid and complain to God about our fear. God eliminates those fears by proving himself. Whether it's restoring relationships that were lost, our finances, he, make, he helps us make it through. Or even just the emotional stress and depression that we're working through, he helps us along. Only for us to begin to trust again, and yet a short time later, as we'll see here in the text, go back to complain. God delivers you. You see the victory. You're like, man, I can trust God. And just a few short days later, for some of us, it may be an hour later, we go right back to complaining. There's no better encouragement, by the way, believer, than the word of God on this point. And let me explain why. Look at this. Proverbs 14.26 says this. This is why the fear of the Lord is so important. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Let me reiterate this, like for the thousandth time you've probably heard me already. You can't fear the Lord if you don't know the Lord. You can't. Every conception of the Lord outside his word is a false conception. Another verse. Proverbs 19.23 says this, Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. And my favorite text here, this is uh, the Amplified Version really brought this out. Psalm 112.1 says, Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who fears the Lord with aspired reverence and worships him with obedience who delights greatly in his commandments. As scripture says, his commandments aren't burdensome. 
God's not there to throw another weight on you. Those commandments are to free you. They're to be your deliverance, if you will. And the fear of the Lord is exemplified by the person that delights in what God's word says. Not the one that says, I don't really care what God says. I'll figure it out. I do better at it than he does. I've been a Christian long enough. 20 years walking with God. Figured it out. Why are you running away from the very thing that gives you hope? Why do we go to everything else first? It's, it's like the, uh, the statement people say, we've done all we can. I guess we need to pray. Should that be the last thing you do? And yet, sadly, that's what we live. I've tried everything. We can't do anything. Let's pray. What a lack of what a fear of everything else but him. Ultimately, the Israelites were afraid more of the Egyptians than they were afraid of God. You would think that having seen all the plagues, they would have seen reality. You would think that many of us who have walked with God for any amount of time would have seen reality. God's already done this for so many times. Why am I doubting him again? Why am I freaking out again? Why am I stressed again? Why am I complaining that he's, he doesn't have it? Your anxiety will continue to rise the more you're apart from God and his word. I promise you believe it. It will. The more you're apart from this word, don't be surprised by the anxiety level going up and up and up and up. If you don't believe me, put God to the test on that one. Get in the Word and see if your anxiety does not go down. God wants you to trust Him. And He will prove it to you if you're in His Word. If you're coming for one sermon a week, it isn't enough. If you ate one meal a week, it's not enough to survive. And yet so many believers wonder why their depression is so high. They wonder why their anxiety is so high. Because they're fearful and afraid of everything else and everyone else but Him. They're afraid of their circumstances. They're afraid of other people around them and making sure that they please those closest to them. Because if they don't do it a certain way, that relationship will be ruined. You want better interpersonal relationships? Learn from those in this work. I pray God does everything in our lives to where we can restore relationships like Jacob and Esau did. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If people that had years of problems between each other, for some reason, God just brings that into restoration. A pastor can dream, can he? That God's word is that powerful? It is. Moving on. Number two. This isn't going to work. Just three days later, they complain again. How long does it take you to complain again after you've been on the mountaintop? This isn't going to work, Moses. We don't even have clean water to drink. 
We're going to get all these diseases because we don't even have fresh water to drink here. Well, look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. Look at this. This is after they, they had the song sung by Moses and Miriam. And they're excited and thrilled about the wonders of God. Verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for it, they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? I guess uh, Berkey filters weren't invented back then. <laughs> so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So these people are caught now trying to figure out what are we supposed to do here? This water is just not going to work, Moses. It's bitter. It's not healthy. We're going to get all sorts of diseases. It's not purified water. Nobody had the test strip, but I'm sure they knew it was bad. It's very apparent that it's not something that's drinkable. But it only took them three days to complain again. After they were praising God. If you will, they had their worship service. Giving God credit. Are we not the same? God does something incredible in our lives. Fear gets rid of something in, in, in distilling those fears in our lives. Only for us to have fear creep up right again. And maybe it's not the same fear. It's a different one. You know, the Egyptians were what they were afraid of earlier. Now it's like the water's bitter. What are we supposed to do? Maybe we are more like Israel than we realize sometimes. You have to understand, and I, and I picture this situation many times, someone in this group had to be the spokesperson, if you will, right? Like, it's not like everybody all at once, we don't like what you're doing, Moses. There's, there had to be a core group that spoke for everybody. If you will, the loud mouths, you know? Peter, when he came to the disciples, he was the speaker, if you will. Somebody had to have kind of brought this to Moses and went, Hey, here's what's going on. We don't have any good water to drink. This is bitter. Sadly, it only takes a few people to start complaining before it spreads to the whole nation. Be careful what you complain about. You think it only affects you, it affects others. It definitely affects others. That's how quickly a church can go from on fire for God to completely dissipate. That's how quickly it changes from praise to fear again. This is difficult from a leadership standpoint. I can tell you personally from some of the more frustrating comments that someone can make. Some people are saying... This isn't going to work. I've heard that one frequently. Some people. Sometimes the some people is a person telling you, which is hilarious. It's like, just tell me if it's you. Be easier. Let's get it over with. I'll be more upset when I find out 30 days later, oh, that was you. Okay. Some people are saying this isn't going to work. It must have been so deflating to Moses 
You said God would bless us. We would be free to enjoy that land flowing with milk and honey. What is this? We don't even have water to drink. If a leader is following God and doing what he says, that is all he should worry about. It wasn't like these people came up to, to Moses and said, hey, you know, we were praying about it. We thought, maybe you could help us out here. We don't have good water to drink. Like, that, that's not how it went down, right? These people just completely went after Moses. They're like, we don't have any good water to drink. There was no prayer involved. This is just a direct attack on Moses for the fact that there was bitter water there. Before you want to raise a complaint against leadership in a church, let me ask you to pray first. Because if you and I pray first, many times that complaint is probably really pathetic once we bring it to God. And probably not worth really bringing up. Look, certain things need to be done in this church much better, and people bring them up all the time. I completely agree. We want a cleaner facility. We want it to look better for people to walk in. But some things, I've heard the same complaint 30 times. We're working on them, folks. We are, okay? It's going to take some time. I know some things are frustrating. But it's so much more encouraging when a few things are done that someone points out. Look at this. It looks so much better here than every time, even when something is done. It's always all the stuff that hasn't been done yet. How frequently do you praise the worship band, those of you that come to church on Sunday? How frequently do you praise the work that's been done by those that come in during the week? Or do you come in, you don't even notice it. It doesn't even matter to you. You could go without. You're not invested. Not my problem, if you will, right? It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Pray and seek God's face before you bring a complaint to leadership. And I'm telling you, many times God will reveal the problem's not with the complaint, it's with you. People would complain a whole lot less if they took it to the Lord in prayer, as the hymn says. There's even the phrase that says, if your friends despise, forsake you. What are you supposed to do? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, if we would believe that, rather than, let me go wind everybody else. Someone doesn't like me. If you want others to care for your needs, it may be important to care for the needs of others first. You see, believer, if you want others to be more kind, maybe it would make a difference in how you speak to your spouse at home and here. If you want others to speak well of you, it may do you some good to speak well of others, even when they don't deserve it. Imagine that. Imagine that. The church of Corinth, when Paul writes to that really messed up church, you know what he calls them? Saints. You wouldn't think they were, but they were. Many of us live down rather than up to what God has called us to. I'm a horrible, miserable wretch. You're called to be a saint. Live like a saint. Encourage like a saint. It's easy to play devil's advocate in church. We do it all the time. So what's the response from God? Exodus chapter 15, verses 25 through 27. Look at this. 
So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you for which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. We're not done, though. Then they came to Elam, verse 27, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. God's response is, I've preserved you in the past. I'll preserve you in the future. Why can't you trust me? By the way, if you do the, the geographic location there, just five miles down the road, just five miles down the road, 12 wells of water. Keep complaining. Go ahead, guys. Moses, they don't know. Five miles down the road, 12 wells of water. Here's what's interesting. The water was turned sweet. And then they kept traveling. Imagine the response from some of the people in that nation probably. Wait, what? Twelve wells? They're all sweet? And guess what? He wasn't even done there. He gave them shade. Palm trees. We don't have that here in Massachusetts. But he gave them palm trees as well. Relax. Enjoy. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor sometimes. Definitely does. Just shows you how foolish you are sometimes. You see, the problem is, it's never going to happen is a lie that many believe. Because it's much easier to patiently, it's much easier than to patiently wait and obey God and wait for Him to move. If you're not seeking God's face, you will not vividly see His healing. You won't be amazed by God working in your heart. We're not amazed by God because we don't know Him nor care for His Word. The more you are in tune with God by being in His Word, the more you're going to be amazed by who He is. The less you're in His Word, the less amazing He will be. It's a very direct quotient. That would be the equivalent of me telling you to like the Patriots, and I'm passionate about the Patriots. But if you don't follow the Patriots, it's going to be hard for you to be passionate about them. It's the same thing in our Christian walk. That's why there's a disconnect between believers many times. One is in the Word, they're, they're walking faithfully, they're excited about what God's been showing them, and then there's this other one that goes, eh, I don't really care. I'm doing fine. Got my fire insurance, going to heaven. Believer, you don't even know what you're missing out on. You have no idea what you're missing out on. Number three, third complaint. It's one that I don't believe many of us frequently use. At least we had, and refer to whatever is in the past. 16, verses 1 through 3. Exodus 16, 1 through 3. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. 
Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses, at least we had plenty of food in Egypt. This has been a disaster of a journey, Moses. At least in Egypt, sure, they might have beaten us, but we at least had food to go home to. Sure, it was miserable work, but I at least could die full. You see, many of us have that at least we had complaint constantly pop up in our heart. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people face that dilemma of the good old days versus today. Well, at least back then, you know, I had this going on in my life. It wasn't so bad. I think it's really a travesty when Christians are proud of their sinful life before Christ. It's really a travesty. It's like they, they're proud of the fact that they were this terrible sinner that God rescued. That should humble you, not make you proud. And no, those days weren't better. Your perspective's off. The complaint here is failing to see what God has just done for them. What did he just do? He drowned the Egyptians. And the second thing, he gave them plenty of water and shade. Like, did you just miss what God just did for you? Believer, how frequent is it that we miss what God has just recently done for us? And we find something new to complain about again. Sometimes it's actually old things we complain about because we think the older things are better than what's present. Here's what's interesting, though. Moses gives the nation of Israel a reality check. He says, you're not really complaining against me. You're complaining against God. And this is all his leading. You deal with him. Look at what he says in verses 6 through 8. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the morning, and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Realize, believer, that when you and I complain against the leadership God has placed over us, we are telling something beyond what we are saying. We are telling God we don't like what he's put over us. And many times it's frustrating. We don't want to see it that way because we want to deceive ourselves into thinking, that person is just in that position because, well, others voted them in, whether it's the president, whether it's our mayor, whether it's our governor, God put him there. You believe God is sovereign, you need to understand that. God put them in that position. And all the conservatives that are complaining how liberals are treating President Trump today need to remember how they treated Obama when he was president. I'm sure we had wonderful posts on Facebook, folks. Praising him as well, right? Time to repent. Time to start owning certain things. And stop pretending that we are genuinely living for God. 
There are plenty of things you and I are going to disagree with our leadership on. Plenty. Paul had plenty he disagreed with his leadership on. He still appealed to Caesar. What you're telling God is, you don't care for me now as much as others cared before you came into my life. Because it was better in the past. You really think Satan cared for you more than God did? Believer, you really think Satan, who's a big deceiver, really cared way better, more for you than God does? Who are you kidding? There's a word that's used to describe Satan, destroyer. You really think that's a great word? You'd want to be aligned with that? The most heartbreaking reality is many Christians who complain about godly leadership in their church because it makes them uncomfortable about themselves and the situation they're currently in. If a leader is striving to serve God as Moses did, the journey will not always be pleasant. If you're expecting that, you do not have a proper view of God. Find me one person in all of the Word of God that didn't go through trials. Period. Like, never. Potentially Enoch, but he didn't have long enough to do that. Because God just took him right up. We're filled with stories of people that went through agony and trials and frustrations, and God was always faithful. Look at the response. Verses 11 through 12. I will give you what you need. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 18. Look at what it says. Towards the end of the, the verse, every man had gathered according to each one's need. God will provide for your need. He's not always going to provide for your want. That's never a promise in Scripture. Don't abuse verses that say, ask whatever you will, it will be done. Are you praying in the Lord's name? That's an important qualifier. Because if your heart is in tune with God, then you're going to pray for the things that God wants, not the things you want. As James says, you're, you're asking because you want to consume it upon your own lust. You're desiring things God doesn't want for you. When you desire the things that God wants for you, He will always provide. God gives people what they need for every day, and many times only enough for that day. Some did not listen, and they left the manna over for the next day, <laughs> making Moses quite upset with them. I told you, it's not going to last for the next day. In other words, some people didn't listen to the counsel given by Moses, frustrating Moses with them. It's in this process that God actually teaches the nation of Israel the value of the Sabbath. It's designed to be a holy day of rest, something that would benefit us all today. Some of us are so busy, we never take time away from it all. I don't know how many of you were here when Pastor said, go through a week of silence, turn off the music, turn off all the crazy stuff that you fill your life with that is distracting you, and see what God does, see how he speaks. It would do us good 
to start practicing the Sabbath again. To take a day of rest where we can really get away from it, focus on the Lord, our families, and worship Him. The comparison game may give you a solution, but it may be a solution you might get sick of. In fact, the nation of Israel got manna, right? They got to eat it for 40 years. How do you like that solution? God, it was better. We had more food back then. Sure, I'll give you plenty. You're eating the same thing for 40 years. Oh, I don't want that now. Too late. Sorry. You complained, I delivered. Oh, what's next? You want something else, right? Verse, uh, the fourth complaint here. This is the ultimate one that they bring up to Moses. It's your fault. Verses 1 through 3. Then all the 17 verses 1 through 3. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses, it's your fault. You don't have the best for us. Look at how frustrating this is. This time they demanded Moses give them water. They weren't asking, they were demanding. It's your fault. Give us what we want now. Oh, those are pleasant words to hear in leadership. Give me what I want now. Moses is overwhelmed because the people are demanding for his head. But it's only something that God can answer. Moses can't even fix the problem. You brought us out to kill us here. They're furious with Moses. You've got to hear the passion behind these people. Or you're just reading and going, ah, oh, they're just kind of upset at Moses. They're furious with him. Have you ever seen someone angry at you? Like really angry? Enraged? Not when someone comes up, I'm upset with you. That's not what's going on here. These people are furious. They want Moses' head. What's the response? Well, God responds with this one. Look at verses 5 through 6. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you, you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. The response from God to the people through Moses is, I gave you the leaders to go before you. That's why he calls the elders to go with him. I called Moses. I'm not taking your side on this one, nation. I called Moses to this task. One of the most devastating things that Moses faces here is the anger from people geared towards him. 
And he's just doing what God's called him to. Do you see Moses kind of reconfiguring and doing things his own way? No, he's just doing exactly what God asked him to do. And they're enraged with him. The blame for the lack of water was entirely Moses' fault, and they couldn't even humbly admit that God was the only one that could solve that. They went straight to Moses to get what they wanted. The problem is they, could, they couldn't go further and ask God to actually do it for them. They blamed Moses directly. Stating that it is ultimately him that tried to humiliate them by bringing them out. When people blame the leader for everything before looking at themselves, they are essentially saying, give me what I want. I can't be blamed for what you don't give me or help me with. Church, I don't have the solution to all your problems. I really wish I could say that more frequently so you'd get it and understand that. I can give you this and get you passionate about this, and it's going to solve way more than me giving you a kind word for the day. There's a reason that God wants Moses to stand before the people of the elders. This is a stamp of his approval. On a very practical note, don't demand from leadership what God alone can fix. Don't demand from leadership what God alone can fix. The many broken relationships you and I have had are not the fault of any one leader in our life. It's the consequence of sin in our own lives. And disobedience to God and his word. Demanding or begging others to fix your finances while ignoring God's instruction in his word will only temporarily fix the problem. There are a lot of people that financially struggle and they don't care at all what God says. And they're begging other Christians to help them out. God's given you the word. He's given you the book of Proverbs. Read it. A chapter a day will give you more wisdom for this month. Coming up. 31 chapters, you can double up at the end if, you need, if, you, if a month doesn't have 30 or 31. People want everyone else to fix what God has already given a solution for in his work. This is going to shock you for a second. Pastor Roman can't fix your marriage. What? What is he doing in this role? You need to get in this. And that will fix your marriage. You need more of him, less of you. You need to take your cue from Christ, men, on how to love your wife. Not your pathetic co-worker that you think is cool. You guys getting it? It's not about us. We don't have the answers to everything. And this is why I think some people are stunned by sometimes the answers I give to their issues that they come to me with. I'm not here to build a name for myself. There's only one that gives you the answer and you have to follow. And it isn't Pastor Roman. The believer that's not in God's word will not be counseled properly outside of God's word. That is literally like saying, God is my Lord and master, but let me go talk to another rabbi. 
He'll tell me better. No, he won't. Why did you have Jesus ask you to follow him? Why are you following someone else? God has called those of us in leadership to lead and hurt for those of you that are hurting. But we know the ultimate solution is in his word. We can give you practical advice and it may work. But if you're apart from this, don't be surprised, as I said earlier, that your anxiety doesn't go right back up again. You're freaking out. You're stressed. And don't go asking people for help on issues God's word is clear on. There are some issues that it's not so clear and you have to work through it. I understand. Some things are very clear. The borrower is servant to the lender. Credit cards are stupid if you get abused by them. If you think there's no danger in that, go ahead, keep going. But don't go whining to everybody else about the situation. God gave you a clear example of what you need to do. We can temporarily help you set up a GoFundMe account, give you something, but that's not going to fix the problem. You need to do what God's Word says. I don't know why we're attempting to fix problems that God is clear on apart from His Word. On a more serious note, I can't make the sorrow in your heart go away. I can't. I can try to comfort you. I can encourage you. I can be a sorrow with those that sorrow. Rejoice with those that rejoice. I can, I can do both. But ultimately, it's God's word that will give you comfort through the Holy Spirit. After all, what is he called? The comforter. I don't know why we miss the obvious in the word sometimes. We need to find comfort. Hmm. Who may help with that? I don't know. The Comforter? Capital C? I mean, it's as simple as that sometimes. And we're overcomplicating it. Imagine if this nation, instead of responding the way that they did, they said, God's got this. Don't blame Moses. Imagine if that happened, right? Like, their response is, God's going to take care of us, Moses. Listen, you know, this is not working out well. We're, we're kind of thirsty here. Uh, we have to provide for our cattle and our kids. Can you ask God to help us out here? If that was the response, don't you think it would be a little better? Like, God's got this. Don't blame Moses. He's just the messenger boy for God. So in conclusion, I've got three questions to ask. Number one. Be honest with yourself. How much complaining did you do this last week? Maybe even this morning, but you get what I mean. Sure, nobody complains Sunday morning. Nobody complains on Sunday morning. We come in, no complaints. Complain-free zone. Church. Number two. What are ways your complaining has affected others lately? You do realize that your complaining affects others. Like, parents, you're complaining about whatever it is affects your kids. Like, if you're always complaining about your marriage in front of your children, what do you think that tells your children? Oh, God is a wonderful God who gives us good parents. Is that what they're getting, the message? Is that the message they're getting? You're complaining about the finances in the home. What do you think that communicates to those around 
God can't provide. I've tried for so many years. Have you done what he said? Or are you complaining because you don't like that his word says, here are some things you have to do, and I'm just not going to do them. What are ways you're complaining has affected others lately? And number three, what are ways you can be grateful when tempted to complain? In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, this is the will of God, by the way. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, that's in the Bible. Uh, in all For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, believer, what is it going to be? Another week of complaining? Or a week of being more grateful for what God's given us and who He is and what He's going to continue to do? It's very easy to complain. There, there are temporary benefits to complaining. There are. Many times, like, did the nation of Israel get what they complained about many times? They did. But sometimes the very solution to that complaint resulted in 40 years of manna that I had to keep eating. You want that? You want to have the same thing that you wanted so bad, ultimately destroy you later because you're frustrated with it? Sometimes the complaint that we have God not answer in our lives is actually very good for us. There are a lot of things that we complain about that we are better off that God never gave us what we complained that we wanted. So as we close this morning, take to heart what God's word says here. These people are an example to us in the church today of what it looks like. I promise you, you and I are going to do much better going God's way and agreeing with what he says than finding other things to complain about in what we want. I promise you that's going to be much better for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the encouragement here that we see so clearly spelled out for us here in the nation of Israel and their complaint to the leadership of Moses. Father, we ask this morning that you would give us hearts that are grateful, grateful for who you are and what you've done, that we would be willing to stop with the petty excuses and the complaints that we so readily have available when things don't go our way. We ask that you would help us live this week, even this day, in gratitude towards you and for how amazing you are towards us. We ask that you would help us rely on you moving forward. Just